All right, Shabbos, say good morning, good morning. Let us begin by thanking all of our sponsors. To thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Teves. To thank the Dafyomi Shir for dedicating the Shurim this month. In memory of Mr. Milton Martyr, Mordechai David Ben Rafal Akoin, the Schuss of our Talmud Torah is Mr. Shama Havin Aliyah and the family Einachama. To thank Shirley Elbaum and family for dedicating the Shurim this month, the creation of the yard site of Jerry Elbaum, Yaakov Kapol, Ben Rav Avram, Menachem. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, then the Shalom have an Aliyah, the family in the Chaman. To thank our Dafyomi sponsor for today, Avigail Alpern, for dedicating the sheer memory of her daughter, Rachel Alpern, Zichron of the Rachel. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, then the Shalom have an Aliyah, and the family in the Chaman. Well, so with that, let us begin. Today's daf, a lot of great Gemara to do today. All right, well, uh, I apologize for the delay. But in Merit Hashem, we'll, uh, we'll get through whatever we can in Merit Hashem. Today's daf is Samech Beis, 62. And we are picking up, we left off, we left off uh, at the two dots. Right on the bottom of Samech Beis, 61b. We left off three lines up from the bottom. Also, a very special thank you to... Uh, Pariser's Bakery and Mati Margalit for uh, accommodating the last minute request. Sufganiot flow like flow like wine over there. Baruch Hashem for like water. Baruch Hashem. So Mati was able to accommodate a very last minute request. Alright, so with that, let us begin. Thank you. So once if you remember again, so the Mishnah was speaking about the idea as follows. A person makes a nether, I'm not going to drink wine. I'm not going to drink wine adakaitz. So we'll say, which means until the end of the, or until the fig harvest. So the Gemara says, how long, what, is, what does that mean? Adakaiz. So Adakaiz means up until the beginning of the kaiz. If, <coughs> if a person says, however, Achiyavar Akaiz, I'm not going to drink wine until after the, after the fig harvest. So when is the fig harvest officially over? It's over when people put away their knives. Apparently the way that they would go ahead and harvest knives was to go ahead and, I'm sorry, harvest figs was with a knife. So they would put away the knife. Ultimately, again, that was the end of the fig harvest. It says the Gemara, Tana, achiich palu rov hamikutsos. So this is very interesting. The Gemara says, now what does it mean they put away the knives? It means the majority of knives. In other words, remember again, People, obviously, not everybody's on the same exact harvesting schedule. So the idea over here is, when the majority of fig harvesters have put away their knives, that is the end of the fig harvest season. Top of Samach Bay, 62a. Tana, hukbulu rov hamikutzos, mutaros mishum gezel, upturos min So similarly, again, I will say the Gemara says, once the majority of the knives are put away, ultimately, again, the remaining figs in the field are considered to be hefker. So because they're hefker, therefore, again, if someone comes along and takes the figs, there's no theft. So you'll say, normally, again, if you walk into someone's field, you walk into someone's property and you take their stuff, that's called theft. We have to be reminded of this because we live in Baltimore. So sometimes we forget, right, that there's such a concept like this. If something on someone else's property, you're not allowed to take it, right? Okay, maybe we should rent a billboard. In any event, so, we'll say, so, so the, the idea over here is the Gemara says, if there are figs in someone's field, if there are figs in someone's field, you're not allowed to go and take them. However, once the harvest season is over, anything left in the field, by definition, becomes hefker. So when does it become hefker? Once the majority of knives have been put away, then halacha lemaisa again, 
anything that's left in the field, there's no longer an issue of gas, no longer issue of the i.e. it's hefker. And because it's hefker, it's also potter from meiser. Incredible. So this is an interesting case, an interesting story. Rabbi and Rabbi Yossi bar Rabbi, bar Rabbi Yehuda, went to a particular place. Now, I say they arrived in this place, at a time that the majority of knives had already been put away. In other words, so they were coming at the end of the fig harvest season. Rebbe, Rebbe, therefore they were, we'll say now again, inevitably at the end of the fig season, the harvest season, there are figs left in the field. So Rebbe was eating whatever leftover figs there were in the field. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Huda would not eat, wouldn't eat. Asa Marhom, the owner of the field, came out and he said, He said, Why don't the rabbis eat? So Rabbi said, It must be the Ram points out, it must be that at that moment, neither of them were eating. So the owner comes out and says, Listen, everything here is Hefker, so please help, help yourself. So the Gemara after is, The majority of the knives have already been put away. And therefore, again, whatever is left in the field is hefker. You should feel free to help yourself. Nevertheless, still, even after this, now remember, Rabbi was already eating, but even after the owner came out, Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda would not eat of the figs. Rabbi said, this is incredible. Why not? This is so fascinating. Kasavar mishum sanyos nosohu hadein gavra. Now I will say, what does that mean? If you look at the Ran, the first, the last wide line on the top of the Ran, Mishum Sanyus Milso the Kamarad in Gavra, Mipne Roa Lev Lomar, Kivar Tartem Osanat Mechan. So I will say, you know what's amazing? So apparently being passive aggressive is not a new thing. Right? So I see who thought the guy was being like a shtick. Well, I guess this isn't passive aggressive. Maybe this is active aggressive. He thought the guy was being cynical and sarcastic. Oh, why don't you help yourself to some more figs? So it's interesting. Rabbi Yehuda felt that the owner was upset, was disdainful of the rabbis that they are partaking of the figs in the field without. In other words, I will say, you know, sometimes, sometimes someone could go at. In other words, they were right. Halachically, they were correct. The figs at this point in time are hefker, right? Anything left in the field, one is permitted to go ahead and take. But again, Rabbi Yehuda felt that the owner, when he said what he said, he didn't have to say anything. But the fact that he said something indicated a certain amount, whether it was sarcasm, cynicism, some reason of being upset. Therefore, did not feel that it was a good idea to go ahead and eat it. Incredible. I will say, by the way, it's an, it, this happens to be, you know, there's a concept in halacha of soni matonos yechia. We've learned this before, that literally, again, Hashem Allah says, one who, one who despises gifts will live a long time. And I will say, so it's interesting, because it's hard to understand because the truth is, getting a gift is a beautiful thing. Shalom, so we're not supposed to accept gifts. Getting a gift is such a... I was supposed to say, immaterial of what the gift is. Like Lamai said, someone else is thinking about you, right? Someone else took the time to... It's such a, it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. So I say, what's part of the pshat ultimately, again, in Sonim Atanos yeah, is sometimes when people give things, they don't really want to give. They don't really want to give. They feel compelled to give. They feel pressure to give. And so sometimes the gift itself actually has a negative effect. That's just happening in this story over here. 
these Ravonim were absolutely in the right to go ahead and partake of these figs. That's the halacha. Once the harvest season is over, majority of knives are put away. Whether the owner likes it or not, at the end of the day, they are hefker. What I was really sensed was a certain sense of reluctance. Whatever it was, whatever it was and to take something from someone, even though you're entitled to it, when they're reluctant, is an awkward thing. That's what part of what Shalom was saying also. Sony matonos yichya. Sometimes you have to be careful because people give stuff, but they're not really giving. Or they're not really giving willingly. And that negativity that's engendered not only doesn't, it's not only a positive resource for the relationship, but often it's something negative. Shalom says sometimes there's something to be said for not taking the gift in order to avoid potential animosity. It's an incredible idea. Rabbi Chama, Rabbi, Rabbi Chama, Rabbi Chanina, Eklaluhu Asra, Bizman Shuk Bulu Rav Makuzov. So, Rabbi Chama, Rabbi Chanina, went to a particular city at a time when the majority of knives had been put away, i.e., the fig harvest season was over, anything left in the field was going to be hefker. So, what happened? So, the Gemara says, Havaka Achil, Havaka Achil. So, as a result, Rabbi Chanina, sorry, Rabbi Chama was eating figs. Okay, he gave to his attendant, but the attendant wouldn't eat. So, Itrislev Rabbi Chama said to his attendant, Eat because it's mutter. Eat because it's mutter. Because we learned that Allah once the majority of the knives are put away, then anything remaining in the field essentially becomes hefker and is permitted for consumption. We'll say, it's interesting. That's the end of that story. That's the end of that story. They'll say, what's the point of that story? What's the point of that story? They'll say, see, why didn't the attendant eat? Why didn't he eat? The pastor why didn't he eat? He thought it was gezel. He thought it was gezel. See, they'll say, see, we learned about this in the Ramchal, which is that sometimes when a person doesn't have knowledge, you conduct yourself with false piety, right? In other words, piety, becoming a chassid, that's actually our next step in the becoming a chassid, a pious person, requires Judaic knowledge. Otherwise, you pave the path to piety with ignorance, and you end up doing a whole host of things that you don't have to do. So the Rechel already spoke about this, right? The immersing yourself in the ice and the things like this, right? So it's interesting. So the Shamus thinks he's being a pious guy, he's not eating the figs. Rabbi Chama says, you can eat it. It's mutter. It's mutter. You just didn't learn the halacha. Shabbos say, it's so incredible. You want to be a chassid? You want to be a chassid? You want to be pious? Piety, holiness, by definition, requires a working knowledge of Yiddishkeit. So that you know what you are allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Incredible. Rabbi Tarfan, Rabbi Tarfan found the guy, in, and this was after the fig harvest season. So he found the guy after the majority of nice have been put away. The ka'achil, the ka'achil. So I said, no, I'm sorry. This, sorry, said it wrong. Rabbi Tarfon was in the field. Rabbi Tarfon himself was the one eating the figs. When was he eating the figs? This was after the majority of the knives had been put away. It was, it was a wild story. Right? So Rabbi Tarfon was sitting in the field or standing in the field eating figs, which is totally permitted. The majority of the knives, again, had been put away. Let's say what happened. This is incredible. The guy got upset. The owner of the field got upset. He threw Rabbi Tarfon into a sack. Into a sack. And he was going to throw the sack in a river. In a river. So let's say, it's Rabbi Tarfon. Rabbi Tarfon. Literally, again, he got sacked. Right? He literally got put in a sack. He got put in a sack. 
right? Because at the end of the day, again, he was eating figs from this guy's field. So as he's being, as he's being you know, carried in the sack, Amr lo, Amr lo, I lo letarfon, shezeh hargo. So he says out loud to himself, woe to me, woe to Tarifon, that he's going to get killed like this. Shama hugabra, so the guy heard this, the guy heard this, the sacker, right? The sacker heard this and he's like, oh my gosh, I've got Rabbi Tarifon in my sack. And I will say, now how exactly do you handle that, right? When you found out that the guy you just sacked is one of the Gidali Hadar, right? I got Rabbi Kanyevsky in my sack, right? I got Rabbi Yashav in my sack, right? I have Rabbi Tarifon in my sack. So the Gemara says, so what did he do? Shaf Kei This is a good move. Right? He put down the sack and he ran away. He ran away. That's probably the only, only play over here. Right? So the guy, the sacker, put down the sack and he ran away. So that's not the end of the story. So what's interesting is, all the days of Rabbi Tarifon, first white line, Rabbi Tarifon was always very upset about this story. Now what was he upset about? Not about getting sacked. Rather, oily He was upset because he felt that he used his literally the crown of Torah for his own benefit. In other words, I will say, how did he get himself out of this mess by by essentially using the Talmud Chacham card? So what happened over here is he used the glory of Torah to save himself from a predicament. He was upset. He was upset from himself because I will say, we're going to see, we're going to get into this sugya. Using Torah or using the cover of Torah for one's own personal benefit is considered to be a degradation of Torah. So Rabbi Tarfin, Rabbi Tarfin felt that this was a misuse of Torah. Incredible. Amar Ayli Shishtamash Bekisotava. Amar Rabbi Barachan, Amar Yochanan, Kalamishtamish Bekisotal Torah. Whoever uses, Rabbi said, literally again the crown of Torah, which means whoever uses Torah as a way, ultimately, again, for their own personal advancement. I use Torah as a way of going ahead of my own personal advancement. They are uprooted from the world. Now, we'll say, where do we see this? From Kavachomer, from the father Kavachomer, Ma Belshatzer, now we'll say, who was Belshatzer? Remember, again, we did this, Kimam Masechus and Gila. Belshatzer was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Right, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first base Hamikdash. Belshatzer, his grandson, threw a big party when he thought that the 70 years had elapsed. Right? So remember again, the Adam Sora, Navi said that Kabbalah's bubble was going to last 70 years. They, Belshazzar had a whole calculation. He thought the 70 years were over and he threw a big party when he thought the 70 years were not only he threw a big party, but what did he use at the party? The utensils of the Beis HaMikdash. Listen to this. Belshazzar used the utensils of the base Hamikdash for his own self-aggrandizement. And he was punished with death. Now I will say, the chap with the, with the utensils of the Beis once you use the utensils of the Beis outside of the Mikdash in a profane way, they lose their Kiddusha. They lose their holiness. So it turns out that Belshazzar didn't use Beis utensils for his own party. Rather, what did he use? What did he use? Deconsecrated utensils. Yet, what was his end? His end was death. His end was death. So therefore the Gemara says, 
A person who goes ahead and uses Torah for his own self-aggrandizement, for his own advancement, ultimately, again, Kavachomer will receive, will receive a punishment. So both say, so this is what Rabbi Tafel is upset about. And Rabbi say, by the way, it, it's an incredible yisod about if a person, a person is a Tamut Chacham, a person has to be careful about not utilizing or leveraging that identity for their own personal advancement. So because again, we'll say, if you think about it, what am I doing? Person is a Tamut Chacham, that covet is not theirs. That covet belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That covet is Torah. So if now I take that covet and I use it for me, for my own personal advancement, then I'm taking something that belongs to God and using it for me. It's essentially Me'ilah. It's Me'ilah. So Rabbi was upset because Rabbi Tarfan felt that the way he saved his life was by ultimately, again, using Kavara Torah. Rabbi Tarfan gave him the Chi'achel, took Hava, Gavra. So I said, just pause over here. By the way, why did the guy get so, why did he sack Rabbi Tarfan? At the end, I remember again, I will say, when was Rabbi Tarfan eating figs? When was he eating figs? At the, at the end of the season, right? The majority of the nights had already been put away. If the majority of the nights had been put away, then at the end of the day, why did the field owner get so angry at Bitarfan? So I said, listen to this. I said, what a profound idea. This guy, this field owner, had someone who was stealing grapes from him the entire season. The entire season. And he couldn't catch the thief. One day when he comes out and he sees Rabbi Tarfan eating figs, he assumed that the same guy picking figs from his field was the same guy who was what? Who ultimately, again, was also stealing grapes the entire grape season. That's why he sacked him. And I will say, by the way, isn't that absolutely incredible? What, what a musr. How many times do we do this in life? That based on circumstantial evidence, we pass judgment on people. Right? I see something, it looks a certain way, and immediately I pounce to my conclusions. Right? We'll say, we look at this story and we say, this guy is a nut. That's what you do. You sack a guy in your field because you see him eating figs at the time that it's permitted to eat figs. So he says, no, no, no. He wasn't upset about the figs. He wasn't upset about the figs. But he assumed that the same guy who was going ahead and eating the figs at a time that it was permitted to eat the figs was the same guy who was stealing grapes from the field this entire time. Where, where do you, where, why do you make that assumption? Because it was like, that's what we do. That's what we do. We make assumptions. We see things in our mind. We do the math. Ah, you're the guy in the field. You're eating the figs. You must have eaten the grapes. And I was like, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. I was like, we make assumptions about how people feel about us. Right? I, I know you're angry at me. How do you know I'm angry at you? Did I tell you I'm angry at you? Did I tell you I'm angry at you? Right? I, I, we make assumptions about how people feel. We make assumptions about what people did. We make all of the assumptions. Like, in my mind, I have it all summed up about everything you're thinking, everything you're doing, and why you're doing it. There's only one little thing that's missing, which is, which is a conversation between me and you to actually corroborate any of those facts to see if what I think is true. And you know what the incredible thing is? When you have a conversation, you know what ends up happening? I would say probably 85% of the time, all of your assumptions are absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. But how much discord and how much sinna and how much animosity is caused because we see things, 
We create truths and realities. We never bother to corroborate them. And we conduct ourselves based on these contrived truths that we have come up with. So much animosity, so much sinna, so many broken relationships, so much negativity, and so much terrible, beha- so many terrible behaviors result, come about as a result of people making assumptions instead of trying to corroborate what is actually happening with straight-out dialogue. Incredible. So I'll say, so, so why, so Umar says, why are you being so hard on yourself? Right? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, now he's all upset that he said, right? he, he did some name dropping. That's what happened. He, he did some name dropping. Right? By the way, woe to Tarifon that he's stuck in a sack over here. Rabbi Tarifon, what are you all upset about? In other words, you were saving your life. Right? The guy was, also, remember again, just to point out, why was the landowner throwing the sack in the river? What was the, what was the intention? To drown him. I was supposed to say, this, this, this guy was angry. This guy was angry. This wasn't like just like, oh, like to get him wet. This, this was a drowning, or at least a potential drowning. So, Rabbi Tarifon, what are you all upset about? You saved your life. To which the Messenger of Tarifon, Usher Gadol Hava, Vahavale Lefai Sobedamim. So, I was say, interesting enough, what does the Gemara say? Rabbi Tarifon was very wealthy. So, because he was wealthy, Rabbi Tarifon could have done, is he could have yelled out from the sack, what? I'll pay you money. I'll pay you whatever you want, just don't kill me. He could have done that. Instead of, done, instead of doing the Tarphone name-dropping. And that way, he was, life would have been saved. His life would have been saved. But at the same time, he would not have had to use the crown of Torah. Interesting. Tanya. So this is so beautiful. What does it mean to love Hashem? To love Hashem your God. To listen to His voice. To cling to Him. What does that mean? A person shouldn't learn in order to be called a Tamtracham. He shouldn't learn in order to be called a Rav. He shouldn't learn in order that he should have a, a, a seat of prominence in the Yeshiva. Rather, why should a person, I will say, so beautiful. Rather, I will say, learn out of love. Why does a person learn Torah? I will say, you know, it's so easy. We know this. We know this. Like, it's so easy for Torah to become a vehicle to be used for my own covet, for my own covet. So therefore the Torah tells us, don't learn for covet, don't learn for covet, learn for love, learn for love. Why do I learn Torah? Because I love the Ribbono Shel Olam. And I know that with every single word I learn, I come closer to him. That's it. And I will say, by the way, I want to point out also, when you learn with that mindset, it's also easier to stay in it, even when you don't necessarily understand everything. So you always say, if Torah is about my covet, then what? If I don't understand it, then what? What's the point? But if I recognize that Torah, every single word of Torah brings me closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, creates a bond, creates a sense of love. Whether you understand it or you don't understand it, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. Then suddenly again, I'm all in. I'm all in all the time. Whether I do or I don't understand it, retain it, to a certain degree, it doesn't, that's, not, that's not why I'm in this. I'm in this for love. It's so beautiful. The Gemara says, me'ava, learn for love, v'sof ha'kavad lava. And I will say, the honor will come. And I will say, what does that mean, the honor will come? What does that mean? So I will say, what it means is that at the end of the day, those who go ahead and live a life, that live lives, or live a life that is steeped in Torah, the learning of Torah, the observance of Torah, somehow things work out. Right? You'll, you'll get the covet you deserve 
Just like, again, you'll get the other brachos that you deserve. Shene'emar, kashreim alas bosecha, kisveim aluchos libecha. I will say, such, such a beautiful pasik. Such a beautiful pasik from, from Mishle. Literally, again, kashreim alas bosecha. Literally, tie the Torah on your fingers. Write them on the walls of your heart. I will say, if you take a look at the Ran on the left-hand side, almost right across in the Ran, kashreim alas bosecha, kilomar, lo techavilana ascha, Shabbat says, it's actually quite beautiful. The idea of tying something on your fingers means it's a part of you. Writing it on the walls of your heart, it's part of you. Let Torah become something that's part of you. And I will say, this also, this is another dimension. Torah is not a subject. Torah is not a discipline. Torah is not a body of knowledge like every other. There are many beautiful and important bodies of knowledge that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given to mankind. And again, we should absolutely find a way to pursue many of them. But Torah is not a body of knowledge. Torah is something the goal is that it becomes part of who and what you are. Tie it around your fingers. Write it on the walls of your heart. Learn Torah out of a sense of love because recognize that every single, every single thing you do, every single word you learn brings you closer to Hashem. So beautiful. The Gemara says, we saw that covered level, and the covered will come. The covered will come. Shine emar, kashimatz vasach, kashimatz luchos libecha, vaomer, terachaha darche noam, vaomer, eats chaim hila machazikimba, visum chaha meushar. Because well said, the Pasik says literally it's a tree of life to those who cling on to it. Visum chaha, those who support it will become enriched. Which I will say means, again, you know, people are people, and people, we all like covered, right? We all like covered. We all like to know that, again, there's going to be bracha. So you know what the Gemara tells us? Here's what's fascinating. If you notice, the Gemara doesn't say, just learn Torah and don't worry about covet. Don't worry about bracha. Because I'll say, for most of us, that would be a little bit difficult to swallow. Instead, what does the Gemara tell us? Learn Torah out of a sense of love. And just know, when you do what you're supposed to do, the life works out. Life works out. How it works out, when... When it works out, does it work out the way you wanted it to? Those are all variables. But Lamais, just know, that if you go and you hold on to Torah, you'll have Chaim. You'll have Chaim. What's Chaim? So Chaim is covered. Chaim is Osher. You'll have, you'll have, you do, you, you do, you do what's on you. You learn Torah out of a say, out of a sense and a purpose and a commitment to Allah. And ultimately, again, the world will work out for you. It's so beautiful. Rebbe Lazar Bar Sadak Omer Asid from the Shem Palam Vedaber Vedaber Bahem Lishmam. So this is actually quite a, quite a beautiful statement. Ultimately, again, so Asid from the Shem Palam means do things for the sake of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. What you do in your Yiddish kite, don't do it for a sense of reward. Don't do for covet. Rather, do for the sake of service to Hashem. And what? And ultimately, when you speak them, or when you perform them, do it lishmah. Don't make Torah into a crown for your own self-aggrandizement. And don't use it as an act or as a shovel to, to plow or as a hoe to plow. We'll say the idea being over here, what? The idea being that don't go ahead and utilize Torah for your own purposes, for your own advancement. So the Gemara gives the Kavachomer. Kavachomer, Mabel Shatzar, Shalom Nishtamish, Allah Bechlei Kodesh, Nasek Lechol, Nekam and Olam, Hamishtamish Pekiso Shaltar, Lachas Kama Vakama. Both say the Kavachomer that keeps happening is from Bel Shatzar. Bel Shatzar used deconsecrated utensils of the Beis Amikdash. 
but he used them for the purpose of his own self-aggrandizement, right? And look at the end that he met. Kabachomer, a person who uses Torah, which is never deconsecrated, a person who uses Torah, which is the property of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for his own self-aggrandizement, chas v'shalom, again, what could happen to such an individual? Amrava. So it's very interesting. However, a person can make his identity known as a Talmud Chacham in a place, ultimately, again, where no one knows him. In a place where no one knows him. Now, we'll say, if we take a look at the, at the rush, so we'll say, what does this mean? Talmud Chacham goes to a city. No one knows that he's a Talmud Chacham. He's permitted to reveal his identity as a Talmud Chacham. Now, why is this? If you look at the rush on the right-hand column, two lines up from the bottom, the rush says, This is very interesting. There is a terrible punishment that is given to those who disparage Tamidei Chachamim. So there's a concern that if a person goes to a place and they don't know that he's a Tam Chachamim, I was going to say, in general, one shouldn't disparage anyone, right? But, but the idea is there's a special punishment that devolves upon those who disparage Tamidei Chachamim. So therefore, the Gemara says like this, if a person goes to a place where no one knows him, where no one knows him, he's permitted to divulge his identity as a Tamut Chacham. Why? Because it's for the benefit of the townspeople. Because this way, again, they'll be extra careful with his covet and not come to any level of disparity. So in this case over here, the revelation of the Tamut Chacham identity is not for the Tamut Chacham. Who is it for? Who is it for? It's for the other people in the town. Incredible. So the Gemara goes weiter. So we'll say, this is by the this is by Ovadia. By the Navi Ovadia, he revealed his identity to Elio. To Elio. That Elio, because Elio didn't necessarily know that Ovadia was in fact a Tamtrachum or was in fact a pious individual. He revealed his identity. Ella Kashia the Rabbi Tarphone. So we'll say, so one second, so once again, everything comes back to Rabbi Tarphone. You're allowed to reveal your identity. In other words, I will say, Rabbi Tarfon was sacked, right? The guy who sacked him didn't know that it was Rabbi Tarfon. So it's in Rabbi Tarfon's best interest to reveal, hey, it's Tarfon in here, it's Tarfon in here. Why? So that the guy, again, shouldn't incur any additional punishment for how he's mistreating. So Rabbi Tarfon, why are you all upset that you revealed your identity? Once again, the Asher Gadol Haya, family Lefai Sebedamim. Because I'll say again, Rabbi Tarfon felt there was another way. He could have paid him off. He was very wealthy. He could have paid him off. And paying him off would have had the same desired effect. He would have gotten out of the sack, quite literally gotten out of the sack, and ultimately would not have had to use the crown of Torah. Rava, Ramik Siv. Rava contrasts to Pesukim. And it says, So we'll say, this is the Navi of Vadya, revealing his identity as a pious individual to Elio. So you see over here that you're allowed to reveal your pious identity to someone else. Oksiv. Yet the Pasik says, let someone else praise you, but don't let your own mouth praise you. Okay, so how do you reconcile it? So we'll say, so again, in a place where people know you, don't sing your own praises. Because if you do so, it is only a display of gaiva. Place people know you, they know you. You don't have to talk about yourself if they know you. In a place where people don't know you, then again, there may be a need to divulge your Talmud Chacham identity, again, for the benefit of the townspeople, so that they don't, chas v'shalom, disparage you in any way. Incredible. A Talmud Chacham is permitted to say, I'm a Talmud Chacham. Adjudicate my case, right? Adjudicate my case 
first, right? Otherwise, comes to Beisdin. So remember again, Beisdin will adjudicate the case of a Tamad Chacham before a regular person. So if a person comes to Beisdin and there's a line, he's allowed to say, I'm a Tamad Chacham, please adjudicate my case first. I will say, why is he allowed to do that? Because the the assumption is that a Tamad Chacham, a Tamad Chacham, if he's waiting online, that's Bittal Torah. He's losing out on the opportunity to learn. So in order to go ahead and facilitate or diminish his Bittal Torah, he's allowed to divulge his Talmud Chacham identity. David Kohanim Hayu. So let's listen to this. The Pasuk says, the sons of David were Kohanim. Now we'll say, the sons of David were not Kohanim. Right? David is from Shevet Yehuda. So what does it mean that the sons, now, the sons of David were Talmud Chachamim? So what we're going to learn from the Pasuk is like this, that Talmud Chacham is treated like a Kohen. How so? How so? Ma Kohen no Tabarosh, Av Tamad Chacham no Tabarosh. Just like a Kohen goes first, or literally takes first, so to a Tamad Chacham takes first. Well, this is fascinating. So it's this Pasik that creates a certain level, uh, that equates a Tamad Chacham with a Kohen. Just like a Kohen goes first, so a Tamad Chacham goes first. I says the Gemara, the Kohen Minalan, how do the Kohen goes first? Going out, I don't even know what going first means. But I don't know that a coin is first. Because the Pasuk says, you shall sanctify him, this is the coin, because he, he offers up the bread of God. Meaning that because the coin offers up Kabanos, therefore he is given preferential treatment. What kind of preferential treatment? What does it mean, In every matter of holiness, Kohen should go first. How so? Amid Beis, Liftoach Rishon, Ulevarech Rishon. So we'll say, this is actually interesting. There's a little bit of machlokis over here. The Rush says, the Rush is in the left-hand column. Liftoach Rishon, the Rush says, Leos Rosh HaMadarim Mechol Kibbutz, Amadabar V'lidrosh Tchila. They will say, whenever you have a national gathering, or any type of gathering, a Kohen is always given the right to speak first. That's how the Rush understands Liftoach Rishon. The Ran understands it that no, the Torah means he's given the first Aliyah. He's given the first Aliyah. Okay, so Torah Rishon, Levarech Rishon. So interesting. So again, according to the Rush, Levarech Rishon means, yet the first Baruch means the first Aliyah. According to the Ran, Levarech Rishon means he gives pre- he's given precedence to lead benching. To lead benching. The little Mane Yafa Rishon. Cohen also gets, I will say again, when you're plas- passing around the tray of food, the Kohen gets to pick first so that he gets the nicest portion. That's the Kohen. So I'm say, so what do you see from here? You see from here that a Kohen is given presence. A Kohen is given covenant. So therefore the Gemara says, so therefore the Gemara says that because a Kohen is given precedence, therefore, therefore Allah Lamaisa, a Kohen, a Tamut Chacham is compared to a Kohen. And therefore, just like the Kohen goes first, therefore ultimately again the Tamut Chacham goes first as well. Incredible. So the Gemara says, Amarava, surely the Sharmirabban on the Mimar. Lo yahivna akarga. Because he's great. The Talmud Chacham is permitted to say, I'm not going to pay the head tax. That's a good one, right? I'm not paying the head tax. I will say, now, what, what, what's the pshat with this? What's the pshat? Right, parsonage, right? So I says, now listen to this. This was even more, this was, this was an exemption. This is an exemption. Now watch this. The chsev, the Gemara says, quoting over here, the Pasuk from Ezra. And the Pasuk says, Minda below v'haloch, now, what this is saying over here is that a Tamut Chacham is permitted to identify as a Tamut Chacham 
in order to claim an exemption from taxes. That was this notion of Talmud Chacham being exempted from taxes. So the Imam is quoting this passage from Ezra. What does this mean? Minda Minda Zumnas Hamelach. So we'll say these were different types of taxes. So Minda, the Rash says, Minas Hamelach was property tax. Property tax. Below, Zukesef Gulgalta, that's a head tax. Bahalach Zu Arnona. So we'll say, instead of the Rosh says that Arnona ultimately, again, is Isur Behemos, is a tax on livestock. The Ran, on the other hand, says Arnona is that whenever the king was traveling, the townspeople were always obligated to supply the king with necessary food. The point over here is that Bahalach Zu Arnona. Bahalach says, I just want to point out, Already in the times of Ezra, they instituted that clergy, clergy was exempt from all of these types of taxes. So therefore, I both say, it's a known thing that Tamidicham are exempt from taxes. Therefore, the Gemara is saying over here is, a person is permitted to identify, I don't know, I don't know how you get that designation, as a Tzara Mirabanon, but you're permitted to go ahead and say, I'm a Tzara Mirabanon, therefore exempt from taxes. And that's not considered to be a usage of Torah for your own purposes. Why? Because since it's an institutionalized exemption, it's not considered to be mishtamish bekisra shal Torah. You're not considered to be using Torah for your purposes. Well, you hear the chilek? In other words, when I'm trying to use Torah for a benefit that's unique, that's when it's called ultimately utilizing the crown of Torah. But the Gemara is suggesting over here, if something is an institutionalized exemption, then kind of flashing your clergy card, saying, I'm a surah is not considered to be getting benefit from Torah. Incredible. So the Gemara says as follows. This is incredible. Tam Chacham is permitted to say, this is wild, I am Avdo Dinura, I worship the fire God, and therefore I don't have to pay, I don't have to pay taxes. I don't have to pay the head tax. Now this is pretty wild. Right, remember again, the fire god is Avodazara. So it sounds like oh, you're allowed to say that I worship Avodazara in order to get out of taxes, right? I'm allowed to, even at even Tamutchacham is permitted to say I worship the fire god to get out of taxes. So we say, look at the Ran. The Ran says over here, So we say, this is not considered to be like what? Like going ahead and admitting to idolatry, the The only reason he's saying it is because he wants to get out of the taxes. Let's just talk about this just for a second. What does this mean? That you, so, so let's talk about the logic and then let's talk about the application. What the Gemara is saying is like this: essentially, it was known that the fire worshippers were exempt from taxes, and therefore, again, even a Tam Chacham could say. I could say, I am a fire worshiper and therefore exempt from taxes. Why? Isn't that like admitting to idolatry? No. Why? Because since he says at the end, I'm a fire worshiper, why? Why? To be exempt from taxes, it's clear that what's his motivation in saying that he's a fire worshiper? To get exempt from taxes. Not because he's being molded to Abel Zara. Now I will say, just to understand something here, this must be talking about a situation of um, despotic taxation. Right? Because in general, you have to pay taxes. Right? And in general, again, if something is a legitimate law, you have to go ahead and abide by it. That be, that's called Dino de Machus 
But Dina de Malchusa Dina only applies to concepts that are rooted in a legitimate legal system. But when there was, not, not despotic taxation, there's a better word for it, um, I guess excessive taxation, right? The legitimate taxation. So again, that in that type of situation, one is permitted to employ certain loopholes because again, it doesn't apply to Dina de Malchus Adina. That's why I will say again, Dina de Malchus Adina applies to a legitimate legal system, not to a despotic legal system. So the one we're talking about over here, a situation where the taxes in question were just inappropriate taxes. So therefore, again, what the Chiddush of the Gemara is saying over here is that you're allowed to go ahead and even make mention. I'm a fire worshiper to be, now again, you can't just say I'm a fire worshiper. The phrase is what? The phrase is what? I am a fire worshiper and therefore exempt from taxes. Because like that, the statement itself shows that the only reason that you're bringing up fire worship is why? To exempt yourself from the tax. So in that case, it doesn't look like one Chazashom is trying to, is trying, is being moda, is admitting to Abu Dazara. Well, so let's go by, let's finish up. So the Gemara says, My time, oh, what's the reason? Literally, again, you're chasing a lion away from your property. So we'll say that's the Lushan. Chasing a lion away from my property means there's a lion, there's something trying to devour that which is mine inappropriately. So I'm permitted to go ahead and chase the lion away. Ravashi had an Abba and he sold it to Beinura. That doesn't mean he sold his father to Beinura. When we say Abba, Rashi says, I'm sorry, the Ran says over here, Rashi says it also, is a yar, is a forest. So this is very interesting, Moses. Says, listen to this. So Ravashi had a forest. He sold his forest to the sect of fire worshippers. Fire worshippers. Amr says, Ravashi, how can you do that? Amr how can you do that? How can you do that? After all, again, the Pashtos, if the fire worshippers buy a forest, what are they going to be using the forest for? What are they use the forest for? Worshipping their God, right? Building fires, which is a Zara. Shabbosai, isn't that placing a stumbling block in front of a blind person? Shabbosai, if you know someone's going to go ahead and commit a particular Avera, and you enable that Avera, you're culpable. You're culpable for that. So Abai, so, so Ravina says, Ravashi, how can you sell a forest to the fire worshippers knowing full well that chances are they're going to cut down that, use it to worship their deity? To which the Umar says, Amrlay, Rov Eitzim, last suck of it. It's very interesting. The majority of wood is used for burning. Not for Avodah Zara. Hasak means burning. Burning can mean heat. Burning can mean food. Burning can mean a whole variety of, of usages. But lav dafka avodazar. If you look at the Ran, the Ran says over here, Rov eats in la sakanitnu, ve eno kimokra lavol avodas kochabim, ta ikalamitli batera, fahal hecha di ikilamitli talinon. They will say the idea over here is even fire worshippers, even fire worshippers, fire worshippers don't use the majority of wood for avodazara. What do fire worshippers use the majority of wood in their lives for? Lives for? Heating, heating, cooking, activities of daily living for which you need fire. So therefore, it's very interesting. So therefore, Allah Chalamaisa, Rashi felt, is no problem to sell to him because I don't have to make the assumption that Allah Chalamaisa, that Allah Chalamaisa, they're using it for Abu Dhuzara. So I will say, we'll stop over there a lot, a lot in this stuff. But again, I will say, this notion of being Mishtamish Bekisra Shal Torah, this notion again of, it's so beautiful because what it teaches us is how we're supposed to relate to Torah. Torah, on one hand, is this interesting thing. On one hand, it belongs to us. It belongs to us. But yet the beauty of it is the Ribbon Shal Olam never fully 
relinquishes his hold on it. Isn't that incredible? I'll say it's, it's almost as if, you know, Chazal tell us that when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe Rabbeinu received the Luchos from HaKashul, the Gemara Sufi says, there was a moment where the Ribbon Moshe was holding on to the top of the Luchos, and Moshe Rabbeinu was holding on to the bottom of the Luchos. That metaphor is an incredible thing. And even though HaKash let go, Moshe Rabbeinu brought it down, HaKash never fully let go. Yerushal always holds on to a piece of the Torah. It's always his. It's always his. It's ours, but it's his. And that's why, again, when I use it for mundane purposes, for self-advancement, self-aggrandizement, what I'm doing is I'm taking something that belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I'm using it for something mundane. On the flip side, I have the opportunity to use something that belongs to the Ribbono Shalolam. Isn't that incredible? My Gemara, this belongs to Hashem, yet He allows me to use it every single day. All He asks is that I use it to come closer to Him. All He asks is that I use it in order to love Him a little bit more each and every day. All right, Hebrew, have a great day, everyone. I'm sorry? Yeah, I'm going to have to record it. Uh, I'll record it separately.